If you have your Bible, you might want to open it to 2 Kings chapter 6 tonight. Um, we're going to do another character study or some points from a Bible character tonight that I think has some practical applications that I, th- I think we can find uh, useful as we try to live out our Christian life. By the way, thank you very much for um, participating in... Um, answering my email or in passing cards to the center aisles this morning. Uh, I'll, I'll share with you soon uh, the results, but uh, I was kind of blown away by uh, what I learned, but it's what I thought. And uh, I'll share some of those uh, things with you as we go a little bit further. If you took the Bible, well, Romans chapter 15 and verse 3 uh, verse 4, the Bible says the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Have you ever wondered why God gave us such a big book? And really, think about, I, I mean, here's what I want to do. I want to go to heaven. Does this book tell me how to get there? Yes. Well, give me the parts of it that tell me what I've got to do. You know, if if the Bible were just that, do you know how small the Bible could be? Uh, probably a couple pages, two or three pages of here's the facts that you're a sinner. Here's what you do to get rid of your sin. Here's what God has done for you. You know, you could just, and here, live a good life. And uh, you, you could, in, in just a very short number of pages, sum up just what we're supposed to do in principle. But here we have all these, we have stories. We have uh, accounts of somebody going from one place to another. We have stories about mothers and fathers and their children and things that happened in their lives and, and the, the goings-on between families and tribes and peoples. Why all that stuff? that doesn't really relate to what do I have to do to be saved? Well, again, I think it's written for our learning. It gives me hope. It gives me patience. It lets me see those principles that I need to learn and put in my own life have been learned and lived out in other people's lives. And I can see through their mistakes, oh, I don't want to do that. And I can see through their victories. Now that's what I want to be. It illustrates all those stories, all the narratives, all the goings and comings of people who lived a long, long time ago. It's all there to help me to live my Christian life, to fulfill my obligations to God. And I wouldn't want to do without them because there are great stories, uh, encouraging stories. When I look at people, just like this morning, uh, I was talking after church uh, with, with someone, and they, they mentioned how that Manasseh, at the end of his life, kind of got straightened around. 55 years of a mess, but at the end of his life, he comes to his senses. That gives me hope. You know, you, you can make a royal mess of things, and still God will take you back if you humble yourself. Those kind of stories I want to know about. Um, they encourage me to help me to be more faithful to God. And so tonight, I would like for us to look at the story that comes from 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 20. And in this story, there are basically four characters that are involved. There is Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. 
There is the king of Israel. There's the prophet of Israel, or the prophet Elisha. And then there, well, I guess five characters. Then there are two servants that come into play. Elisha's servant and Ben-Hadad's servant. Let me give you a little bit of the background to this story. And then I just want to share two points with you to make application from. And then the lesson will be yours. But let's just refresh our memories. In 2 Kings chapter 6, what we have going on is... Syria was making war with Israel. Ben-Hadad is the king. And Ben-Hadad is planning his military strategy. And he would say, you know, and the text says, he would say, like, for instance, let's set up here and let's set up here. And every time he made a decision about where he was going to send his troops to ambush, to attack, to, to strengthen a weakened spot in Israel's defense. Every time he did this, and it didn't happen, he said, just once or twice. It happened over and over again. Israel was ahead of him, one step ahead of him every time he tried to do something. He couldn't be successful against Israel. Because every time he planned, this will get him. We'll get him right here. And... and Israel wouldn't be seen, wouldn't be found. They wouldn't go by that way. There couldn't be the ambush because they went a different way every time. So the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, calls his servants in. And he says, all right, guys, which one of you is a traitor? There's no way this can happen by accident. Every move we make, they counter, and we can't win. I want whoever it is to own up. Who is leaking this private information? Who's the traitor here? That's when Ben-Hadad's servant says, and I wonder what gave him the insight to say this. Had he heard people talking? Was it the rumor on the streets? Or did he have some knowledge himself of you know what was taking place and, and believed in the God of heaven. I, I don't know. But here's what this servant said. He said, King, nobody has betrayed you. There isn't a traitor among us. We're with you. But I'll tell you what's happening. Every time you make a decision, even when it's in the privacy of your own bedroom, the Lord of heaven hears it, and he tells his servant, Elisha, and Elisha tells the king of Israel, And that's why we can never get anything accomplished. They always know our plans. And it's not because we're telling. It's because Israel's God is telling them. If you believed that, would you not pause? You know, if their God is the God of heaven, if their God is a God who can see into the recesses of your bedroom and into the recesses of your mind and know all your thoughts and all your plans, would that not cause you to pause and reflect on what you're doing with your life and who you're serving? It didn't. Because Ben-Hadad said, well, here's what we got to do then. If what you're saying is true, we've got to get rid of this Elisha fella. Where is he? And they found out where he was, and so under the cover of darkness, the Syrian army surrounds the city. I've often wondered, too, if God 
told Elisha all the plans that the king of Syria had planned and so that they could thwart everything that he tried. I wonder why God didn't tell Elisha, he's coming to surround your city tonight. Um, and, and so that he wouldn't be there when they arrived. Maybe there was a, a bigger purpose and a grander story, uh, a way to paint this picture for us. I, I think that's probably why. He wants to use this as an illustration for us. And so in the morning when um, Elisha's servant wakes up, he looks out and he says, uh-oh, we are in trouble. The Syrians are everywhere. They have surrounded us. We are, we're doomed. We can't, we can't escape. They're going to overrun us because he put, uh, their, he put great number of men and, and soldiers into this. And so it's not looking good. And he comes and runs to Elisha. And um, the, look at verse 15. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, and there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And a servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He's scared. I would have been scared. Wouldn't you? But notice Elisha's response. He says, do not fear. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. What do you mean there's nothing to be afraid of? The enemy who wants you dead has surrounded your city and they have chariots and soldiers and horses. You're not getting out of this. What do you mean don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. And the servant probably couldn't quite understand the resolve that Elisha had, his strength, his courage. And so Elisha said to the Lord, open his eyes. And the Lord opened this servant's eyes. And do you remember what he saw? Look at verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed, Lord, strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And they were struck with blindness. Elisha saw the invisible. He was therefore content and comforted knowing that God was going to take care of him. Oh yeah, he knew the army's out there, the, the enemy's out there, they've got their horses, but God sent a heavenly host with chariots of fire. They're not going to hurt us. God is with us in this battle. But you had to see it to have the calm and the peace that Elisha had. And when his servant saw it, I'm sure he too probably took a breath, a sigh of relief. Oh, okay. God's with us. He hasn't abandoned us. This isn't going to be a bad day for us. And when the Syrians decided to attack, Elisha prays that they be blinded. And they were. And can you imagine? Can you imagine the scene? A whole army of men who have come to besiege this city. And as they attack, now they can't see a thing. They're completely vulnerable. They, they can't even make five steps without 
possibly stumbling. How are they ever going to do? And now they've got them. They've they've shown aggression to a city, and now they can't even defend themselves. Now that they're helpless, and that city could come out and just wipe them out. Elisha comes out, and he says, "Who are you looking for?" And they told him, and he said, "Well, come with me." And he said, and he took them to Samaria, the capital city. And he brought them inside. And then he prayed that the Lord opened their eyes. And their eyes are opened now, and they're totally surrounded. The king said, what do you want me to do with them? Should we kill them all? And Elisha said, don't kill them. Uh, Feed them and, and send them back to their master. He showed compassion to them. If you were one of those Syrian soldiers, I mean, again, would you not be impressed with the God of Elisha, the God of Israel, and the compassion that was shown to them uh, in not taking their lives and sparing their lives? That's the story. There's more interesting stuff that that plays out with Elisha and Ben-Hadad and so forth. But I want you to just see this story, and I want to make two points from it, and then the lesson will be yours. Right there's the background. Why tell us that story? I mean, yeah, it's some historical fact about a battle, but what does that have to do with me going to heaven? It helps me to see some principles that I need to understand. And the first principle is that those who stand with God are really never in the minority. They're never really outnumbered. Uh, do, do you remember in Numbers chapter 13, at the very end of the chapter, the 12 spies had gone into Israel or gone into uh, the promised land, and they come back, and Joshua and Caleb said, let's go, guys. We can take it. Let's just get on in there and, and receive the promise. But the other 10 spies said, hmm, I, I, don't, I don't know about this. Oh, yeah, it is. It's a great place. I mean, grapes and figs and, oh, it's, it's a wonderful place, a wonderful land. But, man, there are giants in that land. And they have walled cities. They have armies. They're fortified. And we're just, I mean, we've been slaves for 400 years. And how are we going to go in there and take these people? I don't think we should do it. I don't think we can get the job done. In fact, he said, they said, we're grasshoppers in their sights. They were looking at it from the wrong perspective, weren't they? They were seeing themselves compared to the enemy when they should have been seeing God compared to the enemy. They were standing with God. This is the same God who opened up the Red Sea and allowed them to part and closed it on the Egyptian army. How can you so soon after that lose faith in God? And think that he's not going to be with you as you go into the promised land to possess it. It's mind-boggling, but we do the same thing. But if you have God on your side, you're okay. You're going to be victorious. Even when you come to the book of Revelation, so many things are said about the book of Revelation. Revelation is, is history for the most part for us. It tells us what happened to Christians living in a time of persecution under Roman uh, domination and, and persecution and how that Rome was trying to put their thumb on Christians and, and ex- exterminate them. And they tried, 
you know, there's one picture in the book of Revelation where the souls of those who have been beheaded are, are crying out and saying, how long, O Lord, how long until you avenge us? They were killing Christians left and right. The cause of Christ from this earthly perspective, look, these guys can't stand a chance. How are a bunch of peace-loving Christians going to face off and win against the Roman army? No way. They're defeated. And the blood of the saints proved they were defeated. Just look. They're dying left and right. Go to the, the Colosseum in Rome and look at the gladiatorial games and see what happens to Christians. They don't have a chance. Well, you turn to Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, and those same Christians who had been persecuted are living, reigning with Christ, but we see them from a different perspective. On this side of eternity, we see death, defeats. On the other side, we see the souls of those who have been put to death, and they're reigning with Christ. They weren't defeated at all. They're still victorious. We need to learn the lesson that when we stand with God, we will be victorious. You may, it may cost you. It may be costly, and you may even have to pay with your life. But you will win, ultimately. That's a lesson I need to remember. I need to be reminded that if I stand with God, even when I'm in the minority, when people make fun of me, when they mock and ridicule what I believe to be the truth, when I feel like I'm all alone, could I be wrong because I'm alone and everybody else thinks something else? You know, all those thoughts sometimes run through your head. You stand with God and you're right. You're going to be okay. Elisha teaches that. That's one of the reasons I'm glad God put this story in the Bible is that it tells me that if God is with you, you're going to be okay. And the second thing that I think and one of the practical lessons that I, I need to hear is that there is peace in the knowledge of God's presence. When the prophet's servant could not see the angels, he was scared, unnerved. But Elisha says, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. What do you mean there's nothing to be afraid of? There's an army surrounding us. He saw the presence of God. And because of that, he wasn't afraid. He found peace because of God's presence. You know, the Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13 and verse 5 that... God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Uh, the Great Commission gives us a commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Um, he that believeth not shall be condemned. And, and in Matthew's account, in Matthew 28, he says, And I'll be with you until the end. Uh, he's going to be with us. The presence of God can give you... I think maybe I've told you this, but when Kelly first went to kindergarten, that first day, I couldn't see my little girl getting on a big old bus and going off. Uh, so you know what I did? I followed the bus to school, 
And I made sure she got on the bus and off the bus. She'd never ridden a bus before. And even when school was out, you know what? I I left work about 2.30, just long enough to watch the bus go home and make sure she got off the bus again and went back to work. I wasn't going to let something happen. You know, my presence was, was there. How much more for God's presence to be in our... To the knowledge that no matter where I go, what I do, God is with me. You know, that may be unnerving to some people if you're not trying to live right. The fact that he sees everything you do and, and knows the thoughts of your heart, that might not give you peace. But if you're trying to live right and trying to live a holy life, man, that gives you comfort. You're not alone. Maybe you've lived long enough to face difficult things in life. You know, sometimes when, when you're young, you haven't really faced things in life that really challenge you and, and rock you, your world. But as you get older, it could be health issues. It could be uh, something with your spouse, you, you know, with your children, with your health, um, with your job. Things that just, I mean, shake you to your core. What would you do without God? when those things seem to just kind of just envelop you and, and the circle keeps getting tighter and tighter and you feel so overwhelmed by what your circumstances are, that knowledge that God is with you, it's like being able to remove that weight. If you've lived long enough, you'll know what I'm talking about. To have the faith in God that he's present, that he's with you, and that all things work together for good, to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Elisha reminds me that. I'm glad that God recorded this story in the Bible for me. It's just a military encounter that happened a long, long time ago, but it reminds me of two important truths that helped me to get through my day and, and to serve God faithfully. It reminds me that if God, if I'm with God, I'm going to be victorious, and I'm never going to be alone. He's always with me, and he will work things to my good. And even when bad things happen, he can redeem them and make them to where at the end I'm blessed and and I'm victorious. If God is for us, who can be against us? If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God and you've not given your life to him, you need to do that. There is such comfort and such peace in knowing that you serve an all-powerful, almighty God who will someday be victorious and you'll be victorious with him. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, why don't you make that decision tonight? We'll baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you become a member of his family, an heir of heaven because of that decision. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need to make your life right, and and maybe it's just that you've been struggling with life and this peace, you need it. Maybe we can pray with you if you'll let us know and God can comfort you through the promises of his word. If you need to respond, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.